Judges became a surging crowd that elbowed and pushed and waved tickets in the air. Still no father. Maybe he had gone and left me behind, just as mother had done. But then I saw the black hat, and underneath it, father coming along the platform. His eyes slid over me, and he walked straight by. I wasn't surprised. I am small and quiet the kind of girl it is easy to walk past without seeing. I sprang down from my trunk, scraped past the woolen coats of the crowd, and caught at his sleeve. There you are, Elizabeth. He turned and looked down at me. The train's about to leave. Aboard the train in our compartment, Zenobia clicked open her silver pocket watch. Eleven twenty-seven, she said. Four minutes behind schedule. I pressed my palm to the window. Outside there was only fog. I had planned to spend the journey looking through the glass as the city unravelled into countryside. I had hoped, yes, but it is Tuesday. Pardon? He wanted to have your nose pressed up against the window all the way to Witheringe House, but you didn't account for the fact that it's Tuesday morning. And? And, she finished, Tuesday mornings are almost invariably gloomy. I sighed. It was a shame because I had hoped. Personally, she said, I find fog more interesting to look at than fields or forests or rivers. They're all so dull, so utterly predictable. But fog! Anything could be hiding under this fog. It's got so much more potential. I had hoped the sight of fields and forests and rivers might have cheered father. He sat across from Zenobia and me. A book lay open on his lap, but his eyes weren't following the words across its pages, and his face was blank. I wanted to ask father about the new house and how he remembered it from when he was a boy, but I didn't want to intrude on his thoughts. Father hated being interrupted, and it had seemed particularly wise to leave him in peace since the evening mother had failed to return from the opera. After mother left, father didn't yell. He didn't cry. He just somehow stopped. He stopped going to work at the museum. He stopped writing articles about seed dispersal patterns in the dandelion genus, and he stopped dictating letters to the editor of the Journal for Modern Biology. Envelopes addressed to him they unopened, and the times they unread beside his plate at breakfast. I watched him and tried to decide if he felt angry, or sad, or nothing. Three days after Mother left, I was at her dressing table. I was letting my fingers run very slowly across the pointed teeth of her hair comb. Zenobia came up behind me. She's never coming back, you know, she said. I didn't want Zenobia to be right. But I remembered the night Mother left. She was wearing her emerald evening gown. Its sequins were like scales, and she flickered down the stairs like some kind of tropical fish. When she bent to brush her lips against my cheek, she stopped halfway and looked at me, confused. I think she had already started to forget who I was. And then, a full twelve days later, there came a pink envelope with a note inside. 
mother, as she explained in her flowing hand, had run off with the opera singer who understudied for the role of Tamino. She would follow the magic flute as it toured the opera houses of Europe, to Munich, Vienna, Prague, Bratislava. She had no plans to return. I read the note when father had finished with it, and I believed every word, except for the two at the end where she signed herself off, love always. A sharp rap came at the door of our compartment. Refreshments? A man in a brocade waistcoat held the tea trolley steady. Father answered his question with a nod. The man set down a silver teapot and two cups on a table that unclipped from the wall. With silver tongs he placed a biscuit on each saucer. Zenobia looked at the two cups and the two saucers and the two biscuits.